Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome everyone to Rocket Nation Podcasts. My name is Sam Snelling. This is another episode of Dive Cuts. I believe we are on, what, episode 19 at this point. With me, as always, is the monotonous Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I am fine. <laughs> so we had a review that said that we were boring and talked about the other SEC teams too much, and we were uh, too monotone in our voices. Um, sorry. I'm I'm sorry. My fiance <laughs> says my voice is is it can be annoying too. So I don't think Ellery should be like leaving comments under other people's names on the podcast. That's not nice. Yeah, that's a little rude. It's a little rude. She just tell me to her face. Tell me to my face. So, uh, I hope we aren't boring. We're we're nerdy basketball people. That that's that might be boring to some people, I guess. Um. So what's happened, Matt, since we last recorded? We we went uh, extended, wanted to give a little breathing room to the newly revamped Before the Box Score podcast, now featuring both Brandon Kylie and Nate Edwards. Pretty excited about that uh, pairing, if I'm being honest. Um, hope everybody listened to that and enjoyed it. Uh, so we did want to give a little bit of buffer for that. Um, and also, like, the timing of it would have had basically have us recording right before the Mississippi State game. And I was kind of thinking it would probably be better for us to review that game. Because I thought that was going to be a really sort of important uh, game to sort of see play out. And not have us, like, record and then, like, six hours later the game is over. You know what I mean? Um, so I think this kind of worked timing-wise. Uh, that said, Missouri lost. Uh, after beating Vanderbilt for their first SEC road win of the season, uh, which was uh, nice to uh, not stub your toe in Nashville, um, came back and 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 fought Mississippi State hard. Uh, that's and I think we even kind of said in the last podcast that, that that's a tough matchup for Missouri because of how uh, the Bulldogs like to play, and uh, and sure enough. Um, it, it proved a tough matchup. Mississippi State was able to kind of make enough shots. Um, and Missouri could never quite get over to the hump. They ended up tying the game, I think, with like eight or so minutes to go. Um, but never could kind of get over the hump and into the lead. 
so it was a, yeah, it was a tough loss, but I think it also kind of recentered the expectations over what you know this team is and kind of can be the rest of the season. Um, what you know, even though there isn't a whole lot left of it. So, any grand takeaways from the uh, the game on Saturday? I mean, I think they're playing better. Um, I think that we've seen the same sort of signals we've seen over the last couple of weeks, which is it's a team that is better offensively, um, that that's found two players that can give them some consistent production. Uh, as you noted in study hall, though, they're still looking for that third kind of steadying presence. And it's, it's just hard to find right now. Uh, the, and the usage that they're having to sort of just pile on Xavier Pence and, and Drew Smith is, um, I'm not sure how sustainable it is over the course of time. Uh, <laughs> but, the, it, but those guys are, are, doing their damnedest to try and, you know, shoulder that burden. They, you know, we talked a little bit about, you talked a little bit about in study hall, how Pinson, you know, wasn't as efficient shooting from the floor as you know, you'd like to see. But I think you and I would agree that like in under the circumstances, a guy who's going to give you 20 points is a guy who's going to give you 20 points. And, you know, when the options are as scant as Missouri's roster sort of presents, each night, you know, you can't really, you know, turn your nose up at that. Um, well, yeah, who do you want taking shots? The guy that's going to give you like a 98 offensive rating or the guy that's going to give you like an 84 offensive rating? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really picking, you know, the best option that you have on <laughs> hand. Um, I, You know, I think when you showed me the numbers, like that second quarter of the game, you know, the second 10 minutes of the first half, Missouri – the wheels kind of got wobbly there. I think what they gave up 26 points in 10 minutes. Um, the foul rate got up a little bit. Um, Mississippi state was able to kind of get to the rim a little bit more. They had some guys who aren't always knocked down shooters, hit some shots and, you know, state was able to extend the lead a little bit and Missouri did what they needed to do in the second half. Uh, I thought they turned the clamps a little bit defensively. Um, this has been a team that, you know, at times this year has a has a penchant for putting itself, you know, whether it's at the start of the game or for a six or seven minute stretch of putting itself in a hole. And they did that and, you know, they tried to dig out and they it just sort of compounds the issue I was just talking about where they don't have, you know, the kind of balance across the roster to pull that off. You know, you're having to put a lot of work already on Drew and on Xavier Pinson. And those guys are just going to wear down, and the defense is eventually going to gear itself to slowing them. And you know, the, Missouri just doesn't have a release valve right now. And um, State is a team that I think, like we said, is a bad matchup for Missouri. They're they are content playing a slower pace. Um, they're content making it physical. Uh, they've got, I think, just more athletic players at key spots on the floor at wing and in the especially at combo forward and that's where Missouri's really lacked options this year and you know Missouri did a lot to make that game competitive but I think you know you asked me for a big takeaway they're just missing that extra 10 or 15 percent of what they need 
to really get over the top, and they don't, and the options coming down the stretch aren't, you know, going to miraculously appear. So it, they're playing better, but as we've been, you know, kind of talking about ad nauseum over the last couple of weeks, the structural things and the structural issues with this roster are still there, and they're not going to go away, and they haven't gone away. Yeah, and one of the things that, uh, like, we, we sort of pointed out, particularly uh, that I think was stood out to me was the the wing play, and I talked about this in study hall, and and you and I kind of talked privately, but I kind of thought it'd be good to to discuss here because M- Missouri's best lineup, um, because they were getting so little production uh, from the three spot, was actually when they moved Kobe Brown into the uh the three spot from the from his more traditional four and went with a little bit more uh, you know Mitchell Smith, Tillman, uh I think Tillman and Nico were on the floor together for um for like a minute. Uh I actually would have liked to see a little bit more of those two on the court together. So I think you can match Nico up against uh Adu and and put Tillman on Perry. I thought he was doing terrific on Perry. I mean, he he just frustrated the hell out of Reggie Perry, and that's something you really don't see a lot uh, from from Perry, who's just been awesome pretty much all year long. But uh, it it just sort of stood out to me that you know because Mark Smith is very clearly not the same guy that he was even earlier this year, um, which was a little inconsistent, um, but still a good player. Uh, and, and his struggles to kind of come back from that back injury, which as somebody with a bad back, I completely understand, uh, if you're not, uh, always looking great when you're, uh, recovering from a back injury. Um, but yeah, I mean, Javon Pickett just has not been giving them anything offensively lately. Um, he's really been struggling. Torrance Watson. I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot, uh, the, the sort of lack of production that you get from him. And that just doesn't leave them a whole lot of options. Um, and to, to the to the point where, you know, like the, the, the ball sort of gets, you know, passed around between two guys and they just sort of take, you know, trade taking shots from one possession to the next. And uh, I, think, I think we're kind of reaching the point with the amount of minutes and the amount of usage that particularly Drew Smith, I think, you know, Pinson has been more lately, so he hopefully still has some fresher legs. Um, but I start to wonder if, if, you know, if Drew Smith is maybe kind of seeing, uh, you know, the amount of uses that he's had all year long, maybe kind of wear him down a little bit and, and making him kind of a little less efficient. So, I mean, in the last two games, Missouri's had 130 offensive possessions. Drew's been on the floor for 120 of them. Like that's, that's just an absurd <laughs> level of usage. It's, I mean, and Xavier Pinson has been on the floor for 90 of them. Like, they're, those guys are effectively seeing, what, 75% plus minutes at that point? Like, they're, they're just not leaving the floor. And when Pinson's resting, it's Drew running the point. Like, that's, that's how they're managing this is, you know, they, they're not, you know, one, of the, one or two of them are on the floor at all times because that's how the offense has to function now. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, I've noted in the past couple of games that you can kind of, I think, see Drew's legs going a little bit because, a, you know, a, a pretty big staple of his 
you know, arsenal is that floater from about eight to 10 feet where he kind of either lets it go after he's changed pace. Once the defenders kind of drifted by or reverse pivoting into like kind of a, a mini turnaround. And those are just l- being left short off the front of the rim. You're just not seeing a ton of lift on those shots. And that was, I think in part because I think he was also kind of hobbled at LSU. So you're just not seeing a guy whose legs are there. His, his around the rim shooting has kind of taken a bit of a dip down this stretch. And, you know, I, I would attribute that just to the bulk of minutes he's having to play is, you know, you're just at some point your legs are going to go. It's so it's, it's starting to seep in a little bit there. And, you know, we've seen the shooting numbers get a little bit less efficient each time out now. So like the question is how much longer can they really (laughs) operate at this level of usage in this level of, you know, strain that's being put on them. That's kind of going to be the the one thing we're going to have to watch in the next two or three games is are they going to hit a breaking point? Yeah, and I would say this podcast is uh, as big of a uh, Drew Smith love fest as <laughs> you're going to find in the uh, Mizzou podcast realm. Is that uh, is that fair to say? I think we um, stand from day one. We stand yeah. from day one. We are we are big Drew Smith fans, so this isn't so much uh, critiquing Drew when we're talking about this. Like this is actually us um, actually critiquing the rest of the roster for not taking the pressure off of him. Um, and Drew's Drew's a terrific player. I mean, I, I just I I want him to come back next year with a real dynamic wing score and and just kind of see what this team can do. If you have, uh, you know, two guys you can count on who can handle the ball, and then somebody on the wing who can consistently knock down shots. If that guy is already on the roster, great. I'm skeptical, <laughs> but uh, but it would. I think it would do a lot for him, and it would make it. I, as much as I think coaches around the SEC already appreciate how tough of a kid Drew is, uh, I think that you're talking about possibly elevating him into a. Uh, all SEC kind of level player if if he just has another valve uh, to sort of give him support. Yeah, they. I mean, it's the thing we've also sort of mentioned here is, you know, I think we all know coming on the stretch what this roster's issues are and, you know, what's going to lay ahead for them in the offseason. Um, I think we know, you know, the guys that, you know, need to, you know, show some sort of evolution or maturation um, or else it's going to be a, a real, you know, skittish year uh, in year four. But, you know, at, at this point, the roster is what it is. And Mississippi State, I think, kind of, as, as we talked about before this started, I think it sort of, I think it brought people back down to earth as to what was possible in the stretch run here. You know, I think people had sort of thought, you know, Mississippi State, was a team you could pick off at home and then you get, you know, Ole Miss on the road. And, you know, then suddenly, you know, you're looking at eight, nine wins in the SEC and that's a eight or a nine seed. And then maybe you could get in. And the reality was they were going to have to steal a home win. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, state was a team who needed a win on Saturday. Like if they lose to Missouri, they are not anywhere close to even first four out status in the tournament. This was a win yeah. that State needed. And if you could 
beat a team that was desperate for an NCAA tournament bid at home, then I would have reassessed where the direction of this team was and what we had seen. But this one, you know, kind of went how I expected. Um, and now, really, the question is, can anybody outside of Drew and Xavier really close this season with a little mini run here to go into the offseason with some confidence and some momentum? That That's really what I'm watching is – can somebody like Kobe Brown, you know, you know, find a little bit of a of a burst to finish with? Could, you know, as an, unlikely as it seems, could Torrance Watson, you know, maybe find a little bit of a streak? You know, could <laughs> is there somebody, is there somebody at the three or four spot that could, you know, find just a little bit of momentum down the stretch here? Reaching or is deep this, into the bag. <laughs> yeah, but, but but I think you get my larger point though. Is that, I know I do got, I do yeah. Like, is Mark Smith going to get – could he show some signs of life down the stretch? And, you know, he won't be the player that I think we expected him to be, but can he show some signs that he's getting kind of going to get back to where we thought he might be? Uh, or at least some reasonable facsimile of himself. So that's really what I'm watching down the stretch. You know, if an NIT bid were to arise, all the better. But really right now this is just about really seeing what pieces are, are – going to show signs of growth and positive momentum because that's that's really where the future of this roster is at this point is they've got to have this nucleus come together in some sort of st- stable way to even think about a postseason bid next year I mean that's that's really what that it comes down to at this point so I think uh I think what I've been saying for like the last four or five games still stands I think the goal is to get to 500. Eight, 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 eight and 10 uh, in conference play. I was going to say 500 overall. So, um, which would necessitate yeah, close to an 8 and 10 finish. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're about there. So, you know, you have two games left. If you win the last two games, which aren't, I mean, you're projected uh, to lose at Mississippi State or at Mississippi Ole Miss uh, by four, uh, projected to lose to Alabama by a point at home. Um, you know, those are close enough. Uh, Ole Miss is pretty tough at home. I don't think it's reasonable to expect to win that game, but you need to f- win at least one of these last two, two games. You really do. Um, obviously, I think the home game is probably a little bit more likely. Uh, Alabama shoots a lot of threes. They're they're sort of prone to wild swings. Um and so it's very likely that they could come out and shoot, you know, 63 pointers and, you know, make 10 of them. So I think I would kind of zero in on that game as maybe the more likely win. Um, but I just, I, I don't think you can look at Ole Miss and, and if you're just able to limit Tyree from absolutely going nuts, I think you can limit the rest of their offense to the point where you can steal that game. So I think your goal is to still finish at eight and ten. Um, I think ideally you'd have beaten Mississippi State and you're at uh, you know seven and nine with just a chance to go split to hit eight eight and ten. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. So now you're uh, you're basically I'm I'm just looking at if they've got to win at least one more game or they're all but guaranteed to be uh, playing Wednesday. Playing Wednesday, like I just don't think. You can count on, you know, Arkansas. Um, so Arkansas has LSU at home and t- 
Texas A&M on the road. LSU uh, doesn't play defense, so that's yeah, yeah. That'll be a an eighty nine to eighty six game. Um, you know, but that's that's one of those things. Like LSU is a team who uh, they've been skidding a little bit, kind of down the stretch. Um, what are they lost? Five of their last. They're two and five eight? in their last seven. I think two, um, two and five in their last seven. Yeah, so that's. Just, I mean, that that's going to be a situation where I just think you're kind of hoping. I mean, I think you have to expect Arkansas to win at least one more game. Uh, and if they if they're at seven eleven, then you need to get to at Eight least seven eleven. Um, yeah, to have the tiebreaker come into play. Yeah, and and just put that completely out of mind. Win eight games, and then we'll we'll all see you on the following Thursday <laughs> instead of Wednesday. Which would be nice. It would be nice to avoid having to having to you know see Vanderbilt again in just two bad basketball games, two uh, ugly basketball games. But, yeah, and then it's also tough because then you're turning around and, and playing the next night against a team that didn't have to play. Um, you know, people that are maybe a little more energized. I just – and it would be nice because it's kind of like I think you said in the last spot, it, it really feels like Missouri has just sort of lived on Wednesday night for most of the last, I don't know, five or six years. And outside of – uh Conzo's first year they they kind of have been there so yeah let's let's stop that let's stop stop being Wednesday night SEC teams um okay is there anything else that we need to kind of get to on the season stuff no I think that you know I think we've we've become kind of a broken record which is everything seems to be building towards what's going to happen in March which again I hate you know, spent the last couple of years, you know, really focused on, you know, hot stove stuff, which is what's going to happen in the transfer market. Is there going to be any guys that shake loose from coaching changes? It's, you know, we thought this was going to be a year maybe where you would be talking about postseason basketball in some form and sort of what, you know, this core looks like, you know, building on, you know, a step forward. And instead, it's it seems like we're going to kind of be repeating a familiar process here where we're going to be looking at synergy numbers and tape of guys on the transfer market you know trying to figure out you know is this guy a good fit is this guy a good piece what do we make of him and that's you know I I I like watching basketball but that's just tiring I'd like to see you know guys currently on the roster you know take steps forward and you know evolve and become steady contributors so it's but that doesn't look like it's going to be the case so we're going to be tracking transfers and <laughs> seeing which uh, which coaching uh, changes maybe kick loose a top one hundred and fifty kid and how quickly does Missouri jump on them? Which, given you know the status <laughs> of the roster, history, I would say not not very fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they they what they need is are, are proven assets, not unproven uh, freshmen. So, I have a feeling we're going to be monitoring the transfer market pretty closely. And for guys who are not named Seth Towns. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyone who maybe wasn't paying attention, uh, Seth Towns is a Harvard 
um, former Ivy League player of the year, who I think has two years left uh, thanks to an injury and has decided that he's just going to graduate and, and play um, play a couple years somewhere else. And I think there's a lot of Missouri fans who would hear that and be like, oh, it sounds like a good candidate. He's a wing. He's a, got good size. I think he's like 6'7", good size on the wing. Shoots the ball well. Sounds perfect. And then you read a recruiting article, I think it was on Rivals, where apparently there's been like 70 schools who have reached out. <laughs> it's like, I can assume Missouri's probably one of them. Um, but I think that's a kid that's going to be able to sort of pick his national title contender next year. And I don't think that Missouri is... Missouri's going to have the their pick of guys who are like, you know what, I want a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. Um you know, and I, I, I want that, not a guy like Seth Towns who could be like, I'm, I'm, you know, who do I want to go play for, for Duke or, you know, North Carolina or, you know, Kentucky or Villanova, you know, one, or... one of these kind of schools. Yeah. I just like, that's a uh, too much task. So yeah. So that's the Seth Towns situation. Um, but there was some kind of news, and I know, uh, I know our 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 critic Matt is gets very mad that we don't spend a lot of time talking about my Illinois um, basketball podcast. It's coming true. <laughs> that we don't we we talk about other teams. So apparently, uh, this is not an SEC team. But yes, uh, there was some news. Illinois made some news, and since they are a rival, uh, we are going to talk about this. Uh, but they extended Brad Underwood's contract. Um, and Dave Matter kind of had some tweets that were, I don't know, I would sort of uh, equate them to being like half-hearted uh, defenses of Konza Martin. <laughs> um, you know, be- because he did sort of make the point that like basically their records are pretty close. There hasn't been a whole lot of uh, difference if you take over their entire three-year Track record. Um, where very clearly Illinois has done most of their damage this year. Missouri was very successful in year one. Uh, Illinois was dreadful for two years, uh, particularly in league play. Um, but they've, they've seemingly turned the corner and they are rewarding their coach, probably in a little bit of a hope to sort of stave off any potential uh, interest from the state of Texas. Um, you know, should the Longhorns decide that they want to move from on from the Shaka Smart era, uh, which is interesting because uh, the the Longhorns have now won four in a row and they have two winnable games this week. So uh, it's not out of the question uh, that they go on a six-win streak and end up making the NCAA tournament and possibly saving Shaka Smart's job. Yeah, uh, when I'm looking over the base numbers here, I think that they, yeah, they basically bumped Brad's salary to... uh, what would it be second in the Big Ten this year? I think he's going to make three point four million as a base sort of pay, uh, which would probably put him what in the top twenty nationally as well. I don't have the database right in front of me, but Brad's going to become probably one of the top twenty five paid coaches in the country. Um, it seems like a good idea to get out in front if you're Josh Whitman over there. Uh, Brad certainly has not uh, been shy about jumping for uh, better compensation before. That's why he left. Oklahoma State he felt like he was undervalued there um Illinois you know I think more than doubled his salary and he went to Champaign so good to sort of think if you're 
Illinois perspective, and you've had a guy who's shown progress uh, to lock him in. Um, I haven't seen the actual contract term, so I don't know how it changes his buyout terms or anything like that, or the assistant pool, but I can see the case for why you'd extend Brad right now. Um, they're going to make the NCAA tournament this year, um, barring some just complete and utter collapse, but everything I've seen from them has them you know, safely inside a top eight seed, so they're safely in the field at this point. Um, you know, they, they've got a really good recruiting class coming in next year. They've got uh, Adam, you know, Adam Morgan and Andre Cabello, who are you know top forty or fifty guards. Um, uh, uh, so, I mean, they're recruiting at a really, really high level. Um, if they can bring Kofi Cockburn back, uh, they'll have. That's a big if. Uh, I, I mean, he's not he's not what I would call a a like highly skilled big. He kind of has a, a bit of a one note to him, but um, I mean, we've seen sort of weirder decisions, right? We have, but at the same point in time, the value of traditional back to the basket bigs is just declining all the time. So yeah, I'm looking at the recruiting class. Adam Miller. Uh, sorry, I said Morgan earlier. He's out of Morgan Park High School. I always make that mistake. Uh, number 33 nationally, Andre Carbello, number 55. So if they lose Io and they and Trent Frazier, they plug in those guys. Um, then they're also, I'm looking at their commits and signees. They are also, uh, they have a borderline top 150 power forward, Coleman Hawkins coming in. And then they have a transfer, Austin Hutcherson, who is a, I think a Division three guard who's sitting this year, who is a really really good scorer at the Division three level. So they're gonna. Have He's some... one of those guys that was like a a bit of a late bloomer. Yeah. Um, and by all accounts, is a potential NBA like level guard. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, the so yeah, that... I don't I, like. It is a, a D3 guy, but that that's a really nice pickup for them, actually. Yeah. So they have a top 15 recruiting class coming in. My, that's my point here is they're going to make the tournament. You know, If they lose two or three players, they have enough incoming talent to at least you know, stabilize the roster. Um, you know, if the, the Big Ten is always tough and it's always going to be a – a slog through that league, but if you can hold serve and get another tournament bid next year, you know, you'll have had a guy who's, you know, returned, who started stringing tournament bids together, who's recruiting well in Chicago, um, who could start, you know, keeping some downstate talent in, you know, from leaving the border. So you can see why Illinois would want to, you know, invest right now. All the progress you'd want to see from a coach uh, in that job has sort of happened. Uh, the first two years were not what fans wanted there. Um, so it's it's amazing to see how quickly Illinois fans love Brad this year. But, um, but and this is where I, I kind of agree with Dave's broader take, which is a year ago you would not you know have been predicting that Brad Underwood would be getting an extension. But, you know, this is, you know, what happens when you, you know, keep Ayo DeSumo around and Kofi Cockburn is better than expected and you, you know, you're, you know, Andre Antigua, he knows he uses his New York connections to get a point guard and Chin Coleman goes to work in Chicago again and gets Adam Miller down. You know, when, 
when the pieces start to kind of coalesce and the Encore product matches it, you know, if you suddenly it looks like a wise investment. So uh, we'll see how that pans out and how durable Brad's gains are, but there's no denying that he's got some momentum in the last six months. And, you know, hey, he's, he's parlayed that into a, a little bit more money. Yeah, and, you know, it is one of those things like, I, I think one of the uh, interesting things, there's a lot of people that are obviously not really thrilled with Conzo Martin right now. And I, I think a lot of that comes back to Missouri and it's sort of just terrible luck. Um, I mean, it's impossible to say what would have happened if guys are healthy, right? Like, you can't really say what happens with Michael Porter Jr., yeah, you can't, you can't run a simulation on it. Yeah, you know, like him or Jonte Porter, you know, maybe something happens that goes awry and the chemistry isn't right, whatever. Like, you just, you, you don't really know how it all kind of works out. But it's, it also allows you to kind of do what we've done, which is just put an asterisk by the season. So, yeah, season number one under Consul Martin was great. I feel like they overachieved. Um, they won more without their best player than I think a lot of people expected. Uh, going into year two, they've centered everything around Jante. He gets hurt. Another asterisk. Going into year three, now granted, the offense was bad at the start of the year, and it obviously hasn't gotten much better until recently where we basically just threw Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson uh, at about 60% usage rate for the two of them, and, and it's worked out. Um, but still losing Jeremiah Tillman and, and his, uh, ability to impact the game defensively, I think is something that is really, really overlooked for some of Missouri's struggles, particularly, um, you know, through some of the tough losses that they saw, I'm thinking specifically like Tennessee, Texas A&M at home, um, you know, if you can just flip like a couple games there, then maybe the, like the f- overall feeling is a little bit better, even though the result is roughly the same. Um, and so maybe like the attitude is is better. Where where maybe Conzo's last two years are kind of similar to Brad's first two years. Uh, Brad Underwood is absolutely thriving with the help of Ao Desumu and. AO, if you take AO off that team, Illinois is a middle of the pack Big Ten team at best. Like he has he has single handedly won uh in late game situations, I think three games. Um and and if <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily include the games where like he's kind of taken over. Um, you know, so I think it's it's just where Conzo didn't get that real one big difference maker. Brad has gotten that. And I, I sort of just wonder if we're this whole conversation is different if one of those things is flipped. So let's say even if Michael Porter's still hurt, if Jonte's healthy in year two and, and they make the the tournament with Jonte versus um you know, or basically keep all the same things with Missouri, but you know, something happens, AO goes to the NBA last year. And so that same roster without AO Desumu, 
you know, I'm sure they're improved over what they were the previous two years, but I don't think they take the leap um, that they've taken. And I don't think the reviews are as positive on Underwood uh, with that change. And so that's why I think I'm, I'm a little surprised that Illinois went ahead and extended. Um, I just don't think that it was necessary. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, I, I, whatever, like we're at in a game where agents, I'm sure are talking up ADs and, um, you know, they put all sorts of crazy clauses into contracts these days. So who and, knows it, and athletic happened. departments have money to burn now. I mean, TV deals have made it to where this is, I think what big 10 schools are getting nearly 50 million a year from their TV rights. Like, the, you know, this is, you know, paying this little extra, it sounds crazy, but this is a little extra insurance premium to make sure that you're, you know, going to hold on to a guy who has shown that he's getting some traction. And, you know, I think we talked about it before. Illinois and Missouri for, have kind of been in similar positions where they just have not had coaches that have been able to get anything durable. You know, they've, you know, maybe they've recruited a little bit well and then those players haven't performed the way they've wanted to or they just haven't been able to get over the hump and so they've both been sort of stuck in this position where they kind of get muddled and they get bogged down kind of in the middle to lower end of the Big Ten or Big 12 or SEC standings you know and then they hit the reset button then you're doing that for two to three years and it, I agree it seems early to extend Brad but if you are a program like Illinois where you know your last hire you know didn't you know get that sort of same traction that Brad has in year three, you know, regardless of how much AO is responsible for that, it's something that they haven't had in their prior, you know, decade or so. So I can see why maybe they would rather be early, too early than too late in, in extending him. And, you know, you could make the argument that like if Jonte Porter's healthy next year, Missouri makes an NIT or NCAA tournament, Maybe that's enough to, you know, really truly sell, you know, Cameron Fletcher or Caleb Love on. Yes, yes, there's progress here. Yes, we're, there's some positive momentum. You know, come sign up. Now you've got those guys coming in, and you're not maybe making the tournament this year, but you're looking at a recruiting class that has one or two guys in it that can be what we're talking about. Missouri needs coming in next year, and. You know, circumstances have not allowed that to happen. Um, at some point, uh, that will become moot if it doesn't turn. But for right now, I think, to your point, you can make a pretty convincing argument that luck has been just as problematic as, you know, just conscious decisions that the staff and folks running the program have made. So, it you know, it's funny. You know, circumstances, you know, can magnify or, you know, undercut, you know, good decisions and poor decisions and equal, you know, an equal balance. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, I just think it's, it's funny to talk about, like if you watch game to game uh, and you watch the preparedness of Missouri, like I'm actually really impressed with uh, how well prepared Missouri is on a game by game basis, how well thought out the game plan is. Um, I just, I, and I think you can be critical of some of the, the roster decisions that Conzo has made. And so all of that does kind of go into, 
the entire picture for how you judge the job of a coach. Like it's 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 Conzo's responsibility to pick players to, that can execute the pick, game plan he devises. Right. That 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 gets the right guys in the roster. It's his job to do that. It's his job to coach those guys up uh, and make sure that they execute the game plan. From that standpoint, he's awesome. The problem <laughs> has been, uh, and and what's weird is, and and I think Martin has always sort of been a little bit overvalued for for being a recruiter because of you know a little bit of success that he had at, at Cal and uh, and then some of the guys that he was able to recruit at Tennessee. But I do think that that Martin is going to click with certain guys, um, and I I do think that had Caleb Love been a top fifty player instead of a top twenty five player, there's a real like legitimate chance that Missouri is able to kind of keep their foothold there. Um, but because he's sort of boosted up into that next tier, uh, it makes it makes everything so much more fierce. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and so that's why I'm really interested in, in like, you know, this kid Tamar Bates out of Kansas city, uh, because I see a lot of the same similarities with, uh, Missouri is in early. Uh, he is, he has a message that seems to resonate with Bates and his, and his family. Um, but is it going to be enough if Bates has already got a KU offer? And and if KU is is interested, then there's a chance that other uh, more prestigious schools that are in a position to be uh, more successful right away. Uh, and that is always going to be a tough thing to to overcome. So you know, Kansas is fighting a little bit of an uphill battle. But at some point, he's got to be able to identify the kinds of players that are going to help him win the, win the games and 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 make fans feel as though this program really is in the right hands. I, and I just think that, I mean, I th- think that's a fair way to kind of put it. And the one thing that's going to be interesting to watch, and we won't get too deep into recruiting, but you can, you know, sort of look ahead to this spring and guys that we've like touted. Jade Nakins uh, has made a big jump into the top 100. Uh, he was a guy that we saw last fall and, we, and you and I saw at Nike elite 100 last year. He was a guy who was kind of in that 120 to 150 range, and he has steadily creeped into the top 90 or so and has been really, really, really good this year. Um, he's going to play with the family, which is a really, really good organization out of Michigan. You could see him making a jump. Um, Tamar Bates is another guy that I think recruitniks are already saying could be due for a big jump. And so those are guys that Missouri got on campus. They, Missouri is, I think, one of their first one or two unofficial visits. You know, got in the door really early, you know, really forged early bonds there. And, you know, if those guys hang around 75 to 90, maybe that's a those are guys that Missouri can kind of close on because, will Michigan State or Michigan, you know, look to take some higher-rated guys earlier, even though, like, a guy like Aikens is an in-state kid. But if those kids make the leap like some think they are, you could kind of see a repeat like we did with Caleb Love, where... Missouri does all the groundwork. They get in early. They really forge a good bond. But then the kid just you know, does what you hope a kid does. He gets better, but sort of plays himself into a different tier of the market. And now you're sort of stuck again trying to identify you know, backup options. And Missouri's, Missouri's sort of offered kids in the top 30. Then there's a big gap, and they're offering kids between like 80 and 150. And then there's not a lot right now that are behind it. So 
to sort of wrap up this point, they're going to, this is a class where they might be able to see some of, where they have the right kind of kids that you're talking about that match the profile of the kid that Konzo wants. But are those kids going to play themselves out of them, uh, you know, out of Missouri's reach? We'll see, but it's, it's going to be worth monitoring. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like an interesting situation. I think this upcoming off season is going to be really important. Um, you know, even if they went out and make the NCAA tournament, I still think you have to, you have to find another impact player offensively who can come in and next year be ready to play. Now, whether that's a uh, grad transfer or more traditional transfer with the NCAA kind of opening up the rules, that kind of move is going to need to be made. Uh, and then I think you also got to hope that Jeremiah Tillman isn't too intrigued by professional money and, and decides to kind of come back and play at Missouri another year. If you have all those elements, then I think that this is a team that can kind of take a, another step next year. And the step that I think we were all kind of hoping they would take this year, but you know, for all the reasons that we've discussed throughout the season, uh, they have not taken they have not, and it's it'll be amazing to see kind of where we are in September and where how we're going to foreground the preseason conversation around this team because this was a rebuild. And, you know, for as much as people thought that maybe Missouri could catch lightning in a bottle and avoid the worst aspects of it, it's it's been a rebuild, and it hasn't gone as smoothly as some would hope. But it shouldn't take, you know, five to six seasons to completely rebuild a program like Missouri. And if, you know, you're in a position where next year, you know, Missouri is looking like a number 10 or number 11 team in the SEC, if some things don't come together, then I think you're going to be sort of at an inflection point. We're not there now, but what's going to set the stage for that is, is coming in the next three to four weeks. And it's going to be real interesting to see how much Missouri and the staff can shore up, shore up the situation and sort of position itself because the SEC is going to be stronger next year. Um, recruiting is up across the league, and it's there was sort of a window this year to catch the SEC when it was down, and that hasn't transpired. And now Missouri's got to do some retooling right as the league is getting ready to kind of rejuvenate itself again so gonna be it interesting kind of transpired to see. in college station yeah a really really terrible texas a&m team was able to find a way to uh sneak in some wins buzz and, is gonna be uh, scary down there man buzz is gonna be scary yeah I, I i really think like i mean what he's gonna be able to do uh i, I certainly hope that i know texas a&m has never really been a great basketball school I certainly hope Texas A&M fans sort of are able to appreciate um, how how good they're going to be and understand how much fun that's going to be because <laughs> uh, it's never really been that. I mean, I know that they had a, a, a good run there for a while, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I think Buzz is just going to be dynamite and he's already recruiting at a level that I don't even think a lot of people expected him to recruit at. So there's that. Um, yeah, and that's a team that Missouri gets to play uh, twice a year. 
Good thanks times. to the unbalanced schedule. and Oh, Arkansas twice, too. Arkansas's got a top 10 recruiting class coming in. They can see them twice next year, too. It'll be interesting to see uh, how Musk kind of handles his rosters, mainly because he's a guy who's really co- sort of taken advantage of um, you know, the redshirt rule and transfers. And now with uh, this rule changing where the NCAA is going to be able to kind of do the, the one-time transfer um, you know, without having to sit out, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he sort of moves and goes back to a more traditional kind of recruiting high school. Because, uh, I mean, he's shown that he can recruit at a high level down there. Yeah. It, and so far, the offers seem to indicate that he's going to shift to a more recruiting, more traditional kind of recruiting template. So, But they'll, they have dudes coming in next year. So four games against teams that are potentially going to have top 20 recruiting classes. Yeah, well... Um, I don't know. We always leave readers on a positive. So, yeah, and and clearly we've now been spending like the last uh, you know five or ten minutes talking about somebody other than Missouri, so we're going to get more negative feedback. Um, but that is how we roll on dive cuts. We are monotonous, and we talk about the SEC at large. Um, so n- going forward, uh, next week we'll obviously have a little bit of a pod, probably about the same time, talking about the SEC tournament. Uh, we will be forced to talk about other basketball teams um, and how the tournament may play out. Uh, at that point, we'll have a much more realistic picture of Missouri and any potential postseason they uh, might be able to participate in. Um, and then beyond that, uh, we'll see. Um, so probably we'll do one to wrap up the SEC tournament, and then it might get a little scarce for a while as um, as we get into the fun of the NCAA tournament. And I go on a long extended vacation and never talk to you people again. That's why we have the football podcast. <laughs> Coming back just in time. Because, yeah, they're going to have spring football starting up, and you all will, will care far more about that. Um, but no, we'll still be involved. I'm, I'm kind of kidding on that. Um, but yeah, so we've got a big uh, week coming up. Uh, very important for the rest of uh, the Missouri season. It is the last. Uh, we will get to uh, say a, uh, a thank you and farewell to Big Soda, Reed Nico, um, who by all means has been fantastic this year. Uh, and so we'll devote some time next week to... to doting over read um and until then i I think we'll we'll get out of here on that note uh follow matt on twitter uh he's tweeting all about the politics these days uh you can follow me on twitter also sam t snelling uh and we will be back next week 